teaching is just kind of seems to be in my blood, something I love. And one of the things that I love to teach is basketball. Shocker, I know. I never talk about it. You probably never even knew that about me. But as I was thinking about coaching basketball, I started coaching in 1996, so over 25 years. And um, I am, Jamie and I were talking about this yesterday, Uh, we're teachers of whatever we do, so we teach. So when you coach, you don't just yell at the kid and tell them what they do wrong. You actually teach them like what to do right and give them a drill. We call it the fundamentals. And uh, Jamie said that my motto should be, we put the fun in fundamentals. That's her cheesy sense of humor. But the fundamentals are important, the basics. And one of the drills, uh, one of the things that you've got to do in basketball well is pass, pass the ball. Um, my friends would tell you I didn't do that very well. I shot the ball a lot, but I didn't pass the ball a lot. But passing is, is relatively simple if you're standing still. Anybody can pass the ball. But when you're in motion, now the challenge comes. And one of the drills that I used to love doing as a coach is to put the players in four corners, pretty spread out, using about half the basketball court. There's two basketballs, and if you can just sort of follow me along here, there is a point to this. Um, You're in line in one corner, and what you do is, is you do four things in a row. You catch the ball, you pass the ball, you catch the ball, you pass the ball. But the whole time, you're running from one corner to the opposite corner. Now, imagine you're doing that, but the opposite corners are also doing that. So there's this, and if, when it's done right, it's a beautiful thing because it looks cool and it feels cool as you're doing it because you're weaving in between each other and you're passing and catching and passing and catching. When it's done wrong, <laughs> somebody always gets plunked in the head. It never fails. Somebody always looks the wrong way, gets out of line, and they get plunked right in the head. And it's not, it doesn't feel good. You ever get plunked in the head with a ball? Yeah, it doesn't feel good. It hurts. Well, the, 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 the key, the thing that I always tell them is you have to stay in your line. You go from one corner to the opposite corner. But there's always this tendency for them to pass it and go to this side, and they get out of line. And when they get out of line, they get hit in the head. So you got to stay in line. And friends, today in the Word of God, in the Bible, we are going to see that the Holy Spirit, that God is telling us that we must be in step with the Holy Spirit. We must stay in line with the Holy Spirit. If we don't keep in step, if we get out, God will hit you upside the head with a two-by-four. It hurts. He will plunk you in the head to get you back in line. You must stay in line with the Holy Spirit. It's important. In Galatians 5.25, we see that. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And many of you are familiar with Galatians 5. It may be one of your favorite chapters in the Bible because it talks about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. How many of you have heard about this fruit of the Holy Spirit before? The fruit of the Holy Spirit, there's nine fruits listed here. If we, next line, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
And it's not that fruit is like a new term because Jesus told His disciples before He left earth, He said, you will glorify My Father if you bear fruit that proves you're a disciple. You ever heard that one before? Jesus said that in John chapter 16. Prove you're a disciple by bearing fruit. We must bear fruit. That's, that's what we're called to do, Christians. We have fruit in our life. But it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And I'm here to tell you today that you can't have fruit unless you have freedom. Fruit follows freedom. You've got to have freedom if you want the fruits. And we're going to see in Galatians 5 that if you want this freedom that I'm talking about, it's a choice that you make every single day. Every single day, you have a choice, and that is either to gratify the desires of your flesh or to crucify the desires of your flesh. If you gratify, it never will satisfy. But if you crucify, you will have freedom, and the fruit will come. Could you use a little more joy in your life? A little more love? A little more patience? Anybody need some peace? Some goodness, some kindness, some gentleness, some faithfulness, some self-control. You can have that. You can have it all. You should have it all. In fact, if you're not experiencing the fruit of the Holy Spirit, then you should look in the mirror and say, there's something wrong with me. I'm doing something wrong now. It's okay to do that. It's okay to look in the mirror and say, you know what? I'm not living the life that God has planned for me. Because God has a life planned for you, a purpose for you. And that is to enjoy the fruit of the Holy Spirit. For that to be in your life. To experience that. You, you should have that. God wants you to have that. And the best part is, it's irregardless of your circumstances. It doesn't matter what circumstances you have going on in your life. You can experience the joy of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit. So are you ready for the word today? Are you ready for the Holy Spirit? Yes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the freedom that comes from your son Jesus who died on the cross for us. Lord, help us today to crucify our fleshly desires. Help us to live by the Spirit. Father, show us today truth, but more so empower us with your spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this day to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So if you have your Bible, it's Galatians 5. Open it up. There's a Bible probably in a chair in front of you if you don't have a Bible. If you want a free Bible, we have plenty in the back. That's a gift to you from us. We want you to have a Bible. And we're in Galatians 5, which is in the New Testament, and it's one of those little letters that Paul wrote to a church in Galatia, in the province of Galatia, and so he wrote to these people, and in Galatians 5, he's telling them how to live out your faith. So, it says in verse 16, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. <laughs> Isn't that true? 
You want to do good things, don't you? But you have this issue going on, this daily battle going on within you. And some days the battle to do good versus satisfy the desires of your flesh, some days those, that battle is fierce, isn't it? Fierce. Like, it's so hard. Think about the battle that goes on in your mind to think positively, to think like God thinks, to have the mind of Christ. It doesn't take long before the stinking thinking gets in there. It's pretty quick. How many times have you tried to pray and 30 seconds later you were stinking thinking? I mean, sometimes it's 10 seconds later. So we have this daily battle, the flesh versus the spirit. And it's hard. And there's good news and there's bad news. There's good news and there's bad news. Which do you want first? Church, good news or the bad news? I'm sorry, it's rhetorical. I'm giving you the good news. It doesn't matter what you say. It's the way my notes are lined up. So the good news, the good news first, when it comes to the battle of the flesh versus the spirit, Galatians 5 Paul explains, in fact, if you want an expanded version of Galatians 5, what he's talking about here, you have to go to Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. And in Romans, it's really expanded here for us to see. And I'm just going to give you a few of the verses. So if you want to jump back to Romans a little bit, Romans is um, just a few books before this. Romans 6, verse 6, Paul says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And then jumping to verse 14, sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. So this is the good news. As a born-again Christian, one with the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you are no longer slaves to sin. That has a nice sound to it, doesn't it? No longer slaves feel like we sang a song like that just a few minutes ago. Intentional. We're no longer slaves to sin when we're born again, when we have the Spirit in us. Romans 8, 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, you're in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. See, that's the caveat right there, isn't it? The Spirit of God has to be in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not even belong to God. That's the bad news. If you don't have the Spirit, you can't win over sin. You may may think you won some battles, but you can never win the war. You cannot win over sin unless you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. That's what Romans is telling us here. That's what the Word of God tells us. Sin will always be your master. And I know many of us don't want to be mastered by anything else or anyone else. Sin will be your master. Romans 8, verses 7 and 8, the mind that's set on the flesh, your mind that's set on doing things for your flesh, it's hostile to God. It doesn't even submit to His law. It cannot. It's impossible, he says. But those who are in the flesh, you just can't please God. And there's so many people that are trying to please God by what they do. It 
It's not possible. You can't please God by what you do. You please God by receiving what Christ did. He died for your sins. That's the only way. So if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have a fighting chance, you can clean your act up for a while. People do that all the time. You see people pop into church every once in a while. They're trying to clean up their act. I get it. They're trying. However, they're not here for long, and they end up back in the pig pen. Because in the pig pen is where the pigs like to hang out. And it's stinky, and it's filthy. That's sin. That's the sinful lifestyle. That's what we like when we're not in Christ. When we don't have the Spirit in us. We like that. That's the, that's the home of the sinner. But Romans 8.13 says, if you live according to the flesh, that you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. How do you put to death the deeds of the body? By the, by the Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. You can't do it on your own. You think you can, and sometimes people, it looks like they can do it, It looks like they're putting to death, but they're just doing it in their own strength, and it's not possible to completely do it. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, you live. You live. And you hate the pig pen, like the prodigal son. You know that story, I hope, the prodigal son in Luke. He's in the pig pen. He left the comfort of his father's home to go try to make it out in the world, and he lost it all, and he ends up in the pig pen, and he realizes, this is disgusting. I don't belong here. I belong in my father's house. And he gets out, and he goes back to his father. See, when you're in the Spirit, when you have the Spirit, you don't like the pig pen. You may find yourself in it, but you don't like it, and you want to clean it up. You want to get out. And you want to be free again. But it's not easy. Let's let's be honest. It's not easy, is it? If you've been in the pig pen before, addictions are strongholds. Are they not? Yeah. It's hard to change undesired behaviors. Bad habits are hard to break, as they say. It's difficult. It's very difficult. But you must crucify them. And the good news is you don't have to do it on your own. You have the Spirit to help you crucify Him and bring Him to the cross. Lead me to the cross. Crucify those desires. What are those fleshly desires? Let's be specific now, Paul says. Let me just name some of them for you in case you were wondering what are these fleshly desires we have. And this is not the entirety of the list. There is many more that we struggle with that I'm not going to list here. But there are some categories, I think, that are interesting. I'd like to point out the categories that Paul lists here. First of all, he says the works of the flesh in verse 19 of Galatians 5. So we're done with Romans. Come back to Galatians. We're in Galatians 5, verse 19. The works of the flesh are evident. Like, obvious. You see people... In their fleshly sins. It's obvious. First of all, there's sexual immorality. Along with that, impurity. Along with that, sensuality. All three of these have something in common. They're sexual sins. 
We are in a society that is sex crazy. Is it, are we not? The, the, you know, people know in marketing what sells. Sex. That's what sells. You can't barely scroll on social media without seeing sex in your face. Sexual sins are everywhere. And we all have struggles. Man, women, we all struggle in this area. Then there's verse 20, idolatry and sorcery. Those go together because they're religious sins against God. You shall have no other idols before me. One of the big ten commandments, right? You can have no other idols. You can't worship money, you can't worship power, you can't worship fame. Because if you worship those things, you're not worshiping God. So that's a struggle. Is it not with people? Maybe with you? You struggle with money? Are we still tipping God in the offering? Or are we tithing, giving our first fruits like the Bible commands us? Tithing. Idolatry, money, power, fame. The things that we all want, seem to want, many people. Then we keep going. Enmity, strife. All these go together. Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. What do all those have in common? They're sins against other people. Other people. And boy, Paul had a lot to list there because it seems to me that uh, we have a problem with other people. Do we not? I mean, I'm pulling out of the driveway and I get the one-finger salute from somebody. It wasn't this finger. What'd I do? Nothing. This is people. There's jealousy, there's fits of anger, there's dissension, there's division. We have a hard time getting along with other people. Unless people are nice to us. If people are nice to us, then we can, you know, we're nice to them, but... It's all circumstantial. There's, there's sins against other people. We all struggle. And then lastly, there's drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And don't think of that word as a triple X orgy. That's not the word. The word is actually, think one night stand. There's all kinds of people out there that are, you know, it's like the 60s again. Sorry, I didn't grow up in that era, but I just hear that so it was really, you know, Whatever. You get the idea. Social sins in the company of others. Living this loose lifestyle that we, we may have. So we all have these fleshly desires. And Paul says in verse 21, I warn you, I warned you before, if you do these things, you, ne- you, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So be thinking about the sins that you struggle with. Because I'm going to make it personal for you today, and I'm going to do it to help you. But these red sticky notes that you have, at the end, I want you to put on there these sins that you're struggling with. It's anonymous. Don't put your name. Just write the sin. Lust, jealousy, whatever it is. Put it on there. I'll tell you what to do with it at the end. 
But that's the fleshly desires. Some of us struggle with sexual sins, idolizing others, dealing with other people. And if you're listening today and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I'm okay, I'm doing all right, I got it under control. That's what addicts say. I got it under control, man. No, you don't. That's an illusion. That's a lie from the devil that you have it under control. It's not just a little bit of pornography. It's not just a little spending problem. It's not just a little bit of uncontrolled anger. It's a sin heading towards mastery over you. Heading towards a stronghold in your life. And it needs to be dealt with. It needs to be crucified. And for some of us, it needs to be done every single day you wake up. Every day. And when you do, there's freedom. And when you have freedom, there comes the fruit. Besides, you don't want to live that way. You don't really want to live that way, do you? How many of you like to walk around with guilt? How many of you enjoy living a life of shame? Nobody does. Why not get rid of that? Why not crucify that and, and get rid of it? You want to be free from all that. You want the opposite of that. You want love and joy and peace. And, and so, you know what? I'm going to take some time just to show you why you want these fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. I, I want you to see it. And I hope that you see it in a new light. Because I know, oh, probably a good handful of you could memorize. You, you probably have it memorized. If I said, what's Galatians 5, uh, 22 and 23? You'd say, oh, I know, I know that verse, Pastor. I'm a good Christian. I know it. The fruit of the Spirit, it's love. It's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, and it's self-control. I got it. But do you really know what those words mean? Let me enlighten you if you don't really know, if you've never really studied it. The first is love. This is something you can have. If you have the Holy Spirit and it produces fruit in your life, you can have this kind of love. This love is agape love. You know about this agape love church because this church has an agape feast once a year. Yeah, but it's more than food, okay? Let me tell you that. All right, agape love is the deepest kind of love. In fact, William Barclay says this, agape has to do with this right here. It's not an emotion simply that rises up in our hearts. It's a principle by which we deliberately live. Agape love is unconditional love. Unconditional love for other people. No matter what they do or say. You love them. That comes from the Holy Spirit, though. That doesn't come from your flesh. Then there's joy. The Greek word for joy is kara, like the name. Joy is not the same as fun or happiness. Those things are circumstantial. In fact, Spurgeon says, believers are not dependent upon circumstances. Their joy comes not from what they have, but from what they are. Not from where they are, but from whose they are. Not from what they enjoy, but from that which was suffered for them by their Lord. That's joy, and that's a much deeper meaning and understanding than we use it 
in, in our normal language. If you've ever read Philippians, you'll see a word that pops up more than any other word, and that word is rejoice. Paul wrote a letter to the church in Philippi saying rejoice. What's really interesting is he was in jail, wrongfully imprisoned, while he wrote it to the Christians. Rejoice! I'm here, but it doesn't matter. Rejoice! Have joy. Have Kara in your life. Joy. How is that possible? How could he do that? Because it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It, it grew in him like fruit grows. And then there's peace. And the Greek word for peace is Irene, like the name. And it doesn't refer to peace in general. It refers to peace specifically with God. Which is why Paul writes in Philippians, the peace of God surpasses all understanding and guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. David Guzik says the early Christians knew the love of joy and peace of the Holy Spirit because two of the most common Christian names were Kara and Irene. Joy and peace. Then there's patience. Or I think the better translation really is long-suffering. I jokingly said that with a, a couple. We were at a graduation party yesterday, and um, they, were, they were like parents to me when I was at college. This is a college buddy of mine. And uh, they said, yeah, we've been married 58 years. And I said, man, that's a lot of long-suffering. <laughs> that didn't go over very well. She gave me a look. But I meant, you know, that's a lot of patience to have with someone 58 years. But that's our journey, isn't it? It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And if you're going to be on this, this marathon, then you need to depend daily on the Holy Spirit to give you long-suffering patience. Think about this. The devil doesn't attack you once and move on. He doesn't give you a one shot and that's it. He sticks around. Because he's here to steal, kill, and destroy. So if you're going to outlast him, you need this fruit. This long suffering. In fact, Martin Luther says to withstand his continued assaults, we must be long suffering and patiently wait for the devil to get tired of his game. Do you want a little long-suffering now? Could you use that to help fight the temptation? Kindness. It means integrity. It doesn't mean just being nice to someone. It means integrity. I got a chance to talk with my son about um, this book we're reading together, and, and one of the key characteristics of an elite athlete is to have integrity, character. Character doesn't just grow overnight. It's developed. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It, it, it grows like fruit on a vine. And then there's goodness. Goodness means benevolence. Generosity. Being a cheerful giver. And that's definitely from the Holy Spirit because nobody has to teach us to be selfish. When we talk about our paycheck, it's our paycheck. My money. So when we see a generous person cheerfully giving over and above what, what the minimum is, we see 
someone who is clearly having the fruit of the Spirit in their life. Because that doesn't come natural. Faithfulness. That's reliability. I, I, I ask that person to help because they're faithful. They're trustworthy. They're reliable. Who wants to be a person that God can count on? That's what the fruit does. Makes you a person that God can count on you. Gentleness. Meekness. Humility. Totally not natural, is it? What swells up in you all the time? Your pride. That's right. But the fruit of the Spirit is meekness, is humility, it's gentleness. And lastly is self-control, and that's not self-discipline because I know that you can be self-disciplined. I know that you go on a diet in January. I know that you say you're going to exercise at the new year. I, I know that. And sometimes it works, and some, you, know, you, you have goals, and you can do that, and you can be disciplined about it. But that only benefits you. This fruit of the Spirit, this self-control is what benefits other people. That's, the, that's what makes it self-control. It's, it's benefiting others. So now think about it. The fruit of the Spirit. If, if you didn't want the fruit of the Spirit, if you didn't quite know what it meant before, if you were using our definition of, you know, the, the word, the love, gosh, that's such a word that's poorly defined in our, in our world today, I know that. But joy, sometimes people thought it just meant being happy. I just want joy. I just want to be happy again. But look at what, what the fruit of the Spirit says, that, that love is unconditional for other people. And you can have joy despite your circumstances. And you can have peace with God, which will guard your hearts and minds. And you can have patience, long-suffering to outlast the evil one and his temptations. And you can have kindness to make you a person of character. And you can have goodness to make you generous. And faithfulness that will make you reliable. And gentleness to make you humble. And self-control that will bless other people. If you weren't convinced before, I hope you are now, that you should want the fruit of the Spirit more than anything in your life. And how do you get it? How do you get the fruit? Fruit follows freedom. And Paul comes back and says, verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. So you nail it to the cross. Or in our case, you stick it to the cross. Which I'm going to have you do in a little bit here. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. In verse 16, it says, walk by the Spirit. I don't know what translation of the Bible you have. If you have the ESV, which is the Bible we use here, it says to keep in step with the Spirit. But you might have a different translation, and it might just translate it, walk by the Spirit, in verse 25. But it's a different word. The Greek words are different. The word here is stoikio, and it means something that, that implies walking in a straight line, like a soldier marches in a line. That's why the ESV says to keep in step with the Spirit. It means to keep in line. Just like that passing drill I talked to you about, that basketball passing drill. If you get out of line, you get plunked in the head. If you get out of line with the Holy Spirit, you get plunked in the head. you got to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And to me, keeping in step with the Holy Spirit is to daily crucify those desires that are welling up inside of you. So today is that day. 
as our praise team comes up to sing our final song, write down on that red sticky note the sin that you're dealing with, the sin that you're struggling with. There's pens there. It's anonymous. It's between you and God. It's symbolic. You can come up one at a time, whenever, and just put it up there. And it's your way of saying, God, I want to crucify this desire in my life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today and your word and how it encouraged us to come forward crucify those desires that we have, that we battle with all the time. God, help us to continue to crucify them on a daily basis. Help us to wake up tomorrow and do it all over again so that we can live with freedom. So that we can have the fruit of your spirit flowing in our lives. So we can bless others. So we can have joy and love peace and patience. Father, thank you for providing a way, for giving us hope. Thank you for loving us unconditionally. For you are a holy God. You desire to make us holy. I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you as you go in peace. God bless you. You're dismissed.